right, welcome everybody. We are in a series, The Gift of the Holy Spirit. The message today is the power of His command. I am Dr. Mary Craig. This is Mary Craig Ministries. It is July 23, 2023. And we will open with prayer. Holy Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, whose we are and whom we serve. Thank you for the body and blood sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Thank you for his life, his life of such obedience that even led to the death on the cross. Thank you that Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, even dying to pay the penalty for sin, redeeming those for whom he died by his blood, the sacrifice of himself. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus brought the reconciliation that overcomes alienation from you, O Lord. We thank you that by this reconciliation, we can know you as Father, and not just as judge. We know you as Father. We know you as not just as Creator, but as Creator, Redeemer. Thank you that Jesus bore your wrath bore the curse, bore the sin, and bore the glory. Jesus destroyed the works of darkness, defeating Satan and his kingdom publicly. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. We ask that the Holy Spirit come as a spirit of truth, guiding us into the truth. And, Lord, as the spirit of wisdom and revelation, revealing Jesus Christ to us, we thank you, Lord. We ask that you, the Holy Spirit, open our eyes to perceive and understand, comprehend, and open the eyes, open the eyes of our mind and open the eyes of our hearts to receive what you are telling us in your word today. We thank you, Lord. We ask you for grace. And so we come before you in all humility. And uh, we thank you, God. That you... Love us. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to open our mouths boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, compassion, and grace, that we might love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In his name, amen. All right. 
We today's message is the power of his command. So we have discussed various powers of God related to the Holy Spirit who is God. The Holy Spirit commands a situation with supernatural power and who resists his will? Acts 7, 51, Exodus 9, verse 12, Zechariah 7, verses 12 and 13. The one true and living God has ultimate authority. Authority is the right to impose obligation directly. I'll say that again. Authority is the right to impose obligation directly. When God commands, he speaks will to will, his will to the will of another. In other words, I expect you to blah, blah, blah. But we can resist, refuse, and reject the Holy Spirit to the point that we are deaf to his words and hardened against him. We can resist the voice of the Holy Spirit, shut him off, and move past the point of no return until he turns away when it comes to hearing and seeing. Now listen carefully, when it comes to hearing and seeing, Matthew thirteen fifteen, and Jesus is talking about parables, and why don't they get it? Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, and it goes on, so they don't get it. When the Holy this is a distinction, though. When the Holy Spirit moves in salvation, however, we find that God's grace is irresistible. God turns the heart opens ears to hear and opens eyes to see. That's a regenerative work of the Holy Spirit and salvation. We went all through the benefits of salvation and how the Holy Spirit applies what Jesus has accomplished. God turns the heart and then a person's eyes are open. And then they can hear and get they get it. The Holy Spirit is the one who calls, convicts of sin, convinces, comes with repentance and faith, and converts. And then actually after a person is born again or born out of God or born anew, then the Holy Spirit will do a lot of that same process and correct. He corrects as he conforms 
the believer to the image of Jesus Christ. All right. The Holy Spirit is the one who applies, as I said, what Jesus has accomplished in atonement. He is the one whose power makes it happen. If he is resisted, refused, and rejected, he will not always strive. Now, and but he won't walk away. <laughs> oh, like an alarm clock, we won't hear it go off if we repeatedly ignore its annoying wake-up call. Numbers 27:14 and Isaiah 63:10 and Jeremiah 6:10 describe a person who is stiff-necked, rebellious, disobedient, refusing to listen, willful, uncircumcised in heart. That's describing an unbeliever. But then listen to Romans 9, verses 19 to 21. And better yet, read all of Romans chapter 9. But here's 19 to 21. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Ah. Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? And that's the question. God is sovereign. God is holy, and he has the ultimate authority. He is the authority. And so who resists as well? So people can resist. If you're a believer, if you're elect, you, you're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna happen. You're going to get saved, whether you like it or not. And then afterwards, I'm telling you, if you do not want to go through what I call hard sanctification, get with a program. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit. It's all in His Word, in the Word of God. Your life will go a lot easier because God truly is not a genie in a bottle. He is not the Wizard of Oz, some little man behind the screen, or a, what was it? Was it a screen? A curtain. A curtain. No. <laughs> When God determines to save someone, that person is saved. Neither he himself nor the devil 
nor the wicked world is able to prevent his salvation. Nothing can stand in the way of God's purpose. Not only does God will to save him and work by the power of the Holy Spirit to save him, but he actually does save him. For who can resist? Who has resisted his will? The ultimate question is, can God be resisted? For example, the grace of salvation is God's grace. Can God, the sovereign God, be frustrated in his will to save even one sinner? The issue concerns the very being of God. So we must ask once again, what do we believe about God? God is an irresistible, sovereign, and holy God, infinite and eternal in his being. His grace is an irresistible and sovereign grace. He wouldn't be much of a God if he weren't sovereign. And that's one benefit of going praying through the doxologies of the New Testament. God and God's grace cannot effectively and ultimately be resisted by the most obstinate of sinners. When the Holy Spirit moves to save the sinner, for example, his grace, God's grace, will triumph in the salvation of that sinner. The elect will be saved. God will have the victory. Not the power of the devil, not the power of the wicked world, not the power of the sinner himself shall be able to prevent, overthrow, or frustrate the work of God's grace. The God of the scriptures is the God who, quote, declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Isaiah 46. Verse 10. He is the God before whom Daniel says in Daniel 4, verse 35, quote, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Or we would say, What are you doing? Don't try saying that to God, please. Isaiah fifty-five eleven. Okay. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. God is talking here. 
It shall not return unto me void, that word means empty of power, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. So we're not going to thwart God's purposes. The winds and waves obey Jesus' command. Let's look at another angle of the commanding power of God. When Jesus rebuked the waves and winds and commanded that they be calm in Mark 4, verse 39, he was saying something like, muzzle your mouth. In Greek, it's like, muzzle your mouth. Now, it's translated, peace be still. That's how they put it in English. But in Greek, it's like, muzzle your mouth, or put a muzzle on it, or I'm putting a muzzle on it. Muzzle your mouth. The winds obey Jesus. This, too, is the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit working. And then think, Paul, a commander during a crisis. Paul was on a ship going to Italy. He boarded as a prisoner, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became a commander during a crisis, a violent storm at sea, threatened the ship and everyone's lives. The crew was ready to jump overboard, but Paul began to command the situation by the authority of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Acts 27, verse 23. For just last night, an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me. All right, now I'm going to read Acts 27, 21-26. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail for Crete and... Mm-hmm. incurred this injury. You shouldn't have set sail for Crete and incurred this injury and lost. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but any, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship or serve. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, man, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Ah, 
They're going to run aground on an island. But you see, God had a purpose for Paul. And he had to stand before Caesar. So he had to get there. And the others benefit from that. So, think about think about what's going on here. Paul received from the angel divine instructions and the power to carry them out. Lives were spared as the Holy Spirit and supernatural power worked through Paul, a human vessel, to do the will of God in the moment. Well, what about commanding angels? This is this is something that really gets to me personally. <laughs> anyway, some today teach about commanding this and that, commanding angels, commanding the morning, even commanding our destiny. But we must remember first that holy elect angels only do the will of God and we are not to tempt them to do evil. They won't do it. But you go running around trying to command angels, demonic angels will. Fallen angels will do it. It's a trap. Jesus said in the garden, you know, he said, Can I not now ask my father and he will send me, you know, what, all these angels? He left us an example. We don't command holy elect angels. The commanding power of the Holy Spirit is motivated by the heart of the Holy Spirit, by love. Out of his love, the Holy Spirit will fight for the lives of his children and triumph. The Holy Spirit will fight for the lives of his children and triumph. Many of you have heard me pray that and ask the Holy Spirit to fight for the lives of your children. What about Isaiah 45:11? In Isaiah 45, the Lord has a message for Cyrus, who is called God's anointed, for the way ahead of time. I think like about 150 years before Cyrus came on came on the scene, and uh, th- there's no indication that he was saved before this, except. But we do know that he's called God's anointed. God set him Cyrus apart uh, in this prophetic word. He was he is set apart for the purposes of God. So we have to look at the context. 
Now, I found this um, written by uh, David Reagan, who gives us much to think about. The implication of the entire chapter is that there is no other God to whom men can go to find help. There is no other source for eternal truth or salvation. The God who created all things is the only true God, and there is none other beside him. For from presenting God as a servant of man who will do their every bidding, he is shown to be the absolute Lord of all who must be obeyed. So how do we take Isaiah 45:11? We start by giving the verse the proper emphasis on God. In the following quotation of the verse, all of the nouns and pronouns referring to God are capitalized. Read the verse aloud, giving emphasis to the capitalized words, and you will begin to understand the import of the verse. All right, now, here we go. Thus says the Lord, Lord is capitalized, the Holy One, Holy One is capitalized, of Israel and his Maker, Maker is capitalized, ask me as capitalized of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me. Okay. Now this is a better, I think, closer translation. Isaiah 45, 11. And verse 12. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed him, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts. That's the English Standard Version. Now, a footnote says, A slight emendation yields, will you question me about my children or command me concerning the work of my hands, question mark. That is, if you want to know the truth about the future, then come to the only source that can help you. That is the God of creation. And ask him. You will get no help from idols, false gods, or false prophets. Also, if you want to influence the events of heaven and earth, then come to the only one who can really 
make things happen to the Lord and Holy One and command Him. He is the only one who can do such things, and so he is the one to whom you must go. If he will not do it, it will not get done. So now let's think a little bit about how a command operates. In context, we are warned against striving with our Maker. Isaiah 45, verse 9. Now here is Isaiah 45, verse 9. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handled. All right, that's Isaiah 45, verse 9. Therefore, this is not any kind of promise to do what we desire on the behalf of God, what we want God to do. We might wonder why the scriptures use the word command if the desired action is not guaranteed. The key is how a command operates. When we command someone to do something, we are actually accomplishing something through the actions of another person. Examples of this are found in Scripture. David is accused of killing Uriah the Hittite, although he ordered others to do the actual deed. In fact, leaving him exposed to the enemy. The conspiracy to commit murder, right? When we pray and God answers that prayer, God certainly gets the credit for doing the work. Yet in another way, we did it through him. As the missionary William Carey said, quote, Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Jesus told his disciples, For without me, you can do nothing. John 15, verse 5. In this sense, the only way we can do anything of eternal value is to do them through the power of God. Thus, we may sound like we are demanding God as in give us this day our daily bread, when in fact we are asking him to do something. When we ask it in faith, believing, we are trusting God on the basis of his word to do something. 
because the command is it, it better think of it as ask slash demand. Who is the master and who is the servant? However, this does not mean that we are the masters and God is the servant or some genie in a bottle there to serve our every whim or to fulfill our every desire. Oh, my. Just the opposite. Our commands are requests, and they become commands only when God determines to do them. Again, the purpose for using the word command is to emphasize the way we do things through prayer. We put in our order a word related to command, and if approved, it is accomplished by God. And businesses operate that way. They put in purchase orders and all kinds of things. I forget what all they're called. Purchase order is one. And maybe it gets filled, maybe it doesn't. But businesses know how this works. So, sometimes when someone is especially close to God, these prayers can be quite bold. They can even take the form of a command, as when Jacob says to the angel of the Lord, I will not let you go except you bless me. Genesis 32, verse 26. Or when Joshua said to the son of Moon, Son, stand still upon Gibeon, and you, Moon, in the valley of Adelon, Joshua 10, 12. Now, if I pronounce that wrong, maybe that valley wouldn't respond. <laughs> but we should never assume that this one use of the word, command, in dealing with our relationship to God gives us the right or power to order God around. To think so is to think foolish thoughts. Now that's from David Reagan. Okay. And I agree with it. Boldness and brassiness, selfish ambition and counterfeit spiritual authority. Cannot carnal desire and desire for personal gain are not motivated by love. We're almost finished. Dr. Fuchsia Pickett notes this, quote, A person with a proud commanding spirit is usually a person who is very insecure and desires to control others. 
anyone who does not display a broken spirit and who is not teachable may simply be displaying a carnal desire to rule when commanding a situation, unquote. She also notes that the true commanding mood of the Holy Spirit comes with the authority and power of the Godhead to change any situation for His glory. God has given us His Word. Today we have tools to study His Word and pray for sound, healthy, correct doctrine. Do the research. Learn how to use an interlinear and read in various translations. Hold chapters. You see, when we look at one verse in Isaiah 45:11, you can take that completely out of context. But if you read all of Isaiah chapter 45, it becomes clear that God's not saying, hey, you know, I'm going to bow down now to you. Yes, Jesus served. He was an example of humility and servant leadership. But you don't don't you don't you don't um use how do I say that? We're not to manipulate that or use it for our own selfish ambitions. We also need to pray for one another, to cling to what is good, to stay on a narrow road, and be diligent. So much to think about. Years ago, I was called to advise a ministry that was almost completely destroyed because they started falling into a snare of this idea of commanding everything. Commanding this and that. Keep us happy. Bless the Lord and be thankful. Amen. So, Father God, we come to you and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we thank you, Lord. You give grace to the humble. Help us, O God, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, to remember that you want us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. 
and you want to put truth in the inward parts. Lord, we ask for sound, healthy, correct doctrine. And we ask that you help motivate us to study your word. Give us a desire to know the truth, to follow Jesus Christ, who is truth, by the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, that we might know the one true and living God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And now if you would please stand for the benediction. Hebrews thirteen twenty and 21. Now may the God of the peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.